This impactful conversation is brought to you by Say Things Better, a method of intentional communication developed by Lila Smith. I met Lila on LinkedIn and we immediately connected due to her open heart and wisdom. She helps entrepreneurs and thought leaders to make impactful choices for their communication. The Say Things Better messaging framework is the way she managed to build her own following of over 25,000 fans. Follow Say Things Better on LinkedIn and connect to Lila through her website at saythingsbetter.com. Welcome to Impact by Choice podcast with your host, Andrada Anite. What do you think about identity? I mean, for me, for such a long time, it was a huge problem to identify exactly who I was, especially because I was afraid to recognize the person that I mean, that I am, and actually, you know, to embrace that weirdo inside of me. And because of that, over time, with the help of a lot of amazing people, among which my guest for today helped me to get through all that um, and discover what's inside me. Um, but anyway, the point is that I want to introduce you to someone that is very dear to me, has helped me in so many ways over time, and he is an identity coach. Hi, Anton Tumak. Welcome to Impact by Choice. Hey, Andrada. Thanks for having me. Love, love being here. Can't wait to chat with all. Sure. Please tell us from your perspective for people that have no idea what an identity coach is. What do you actually do? That's funny. My mom asked me that question uh, just last week. And she goes, Anton, I've been watching your website and I love it. Great stuff. But can you tell me a difference? Why don't you call yourself a personality coach? I'm like, Okay, great question, mom, because personality is just part of identity. Identity is something that's much deeper than just the way that we behave. It's everything that is us, you know, and to me, I developed an identity coaching principle from uh, being a coach for about 10 years, worked with over 300 clients, and I've seen the same struggles, seen the same issues with them, and it comprised of four main pillars. You can't be yourself psychologically until you're yourself and optimized physiologically. And that's what you're seeing a lot of people right now starting to talk about stress management, connection of gut and brain, uh, different things like that, hormone response, your neurotransmitters and chemical profile in your brain. All those things have to be good in order for you to be your best self psychologically. So first is our physiological identity. Then we come in with our psychological identity. And that one I summarize in three stories. I think that everybody says three narratives in our head when it comes down to our psychology. And one story is, what is the story that you tell yourself about yourself? At any given time, there's something that we're saying to ourselves at how we're interpreting our own behavior, our own actions. Second story is, what do you tell yourself about others? Anytime we're around people, what are you saying and thinking about those people's actions, interpretation of their you know, words and things like that? And then the last one is, what is the story that you think others are saying about you? So almost like our internal image and our external image. And the reality that I teach there is once you understand the stories, once you understand what you're saying, then you can start to control them and change them to suit what you want it to be. And then your psychology starts to become more positive. And I went through this myself when I was 23 years old. Um, went through a divorce, destroyed my life for like two weeks, whatever. I got over it. Um, but she left me for my best friend. And it was like a terrible situation. And it just taught me to look at life differently. And through that, I started paying attention to my internal monologues. I started paying attention to what narrative runs through my head. And I pulled myself out of depression that I was in through changing the narrative. I forgave you know, my ex-wife and my ex-best friend for doing that. I gave them a call later and I said, I'm glad you guys followed your love because we weren't meant to be. But at the time that it happened, I was telling myself the wrong story that was making me feel like a victim and not good, right? So that's the second pillar. Third pillar is gonna be our spiritual identity. And this one that usually people see and they kind of go, whoa, whoa, hold on. Like you're gonna talk to people about God. And I'm like, not necessarily. 
spirituality is a really broad concept. It's something that doesn't necessarily mean religion. That's what people a lot of times confuse. Spirituality that I teach is a set of higher guiding principles. What is your moral code? If it is Christianity, great. If it is Buddhism, great. If it is whatever religion you want to follow, or if you're in an atheist, there should be a moral principle that you live by, a set of guiding checks and balances that governs your life. And that's where we work with my clients to discover, what do you want that to be and have you clearly identified that? So beginning of my career as a coach, I started really on those three. And then I realized that I kept hitting a roadblock, kept hitting a roadblock. Why a person can't become who they ultimately want because of one main thing, finances. They don't make money the way that they want to make money. And that causes the other three selves of ourselves to not be what they're capable of being. So I added in later on a financial identity and I'm not a financial planner. This is what I want to be clear with people. I'm not here to manage your finances. I'm here to help, help you understand through Strength Finder and other ways of understanding you. What is your best way to go make money that fits within who you are? And can those worlds coexist? Because once all four worlds that I just discussed coexist, that sets your identity. And that's why I call my company, my personal company, Oak Tree Consulting, because it's that oak, it's that representation of a strong, firm being that is rooted in who they are. They grow, they change, but it's vertical. It's always up and it's never like a tumbleweed that gets blown over all over the place because they haven't set their roots. Does that all make sense? Yeah, definitely it makes sense. And I'm, I'm really happy that you discussed about the four pillars uh, because they they make um also they're part of the program that you have right now right you have a course yeah my stress, my, my, yeah of course stress, stress management coach course you know i call myself a high achiever coach and this is not it's actually not a ploy to get more high achievers it's actually to not waste a bunch of people's time that reach out to me for coaching I work with people that have already been through some coaching or at least have accomplished a lot in their life because I'm not a beginning coach. A lot of beginning coaches need to be a lot more nurturing. You know, when a person first starts with coaching, they need a lot of support, a lot of love. They need people to wrap their arms around them. And I just know myself, I'm not that kind of coach. I'm more of a drill instructor that's going to push you, going to, you know, probe you, poke you to make sure that you're smiling because I've done this to you, yes. you know, to make, sure, to make sure that the ground that you're standing on is firm, to make sure that if you can't withstand my challenges, guess what? When the reality hits, you're not going to be withstanding those challenges. So it's better to come from a friend and a supporter than it is down the road. So I say I'm a high achiever coach for that reason. And the course is meant for high achievers. It's strictly the physiological component of it, the stress management side of things. But I teach people how to manage stress that can't back off. People that are entrepreneurs, that have side hustles, multiple side hustles. They're working in sales commission environments that just can't go, okay, I'm going to relax and I'm going to just meditate a lot. Great. I'm, I'm an advocate of that. I do preach Eastern medicine, but there's also other things they can do on the Western side, more science back that they may accept better that'll help them with stress management. So that's really my course. It focuses on both the Eastern medicine side. I teach meditation. I teach yoga practices and things like that, different types of them. But I also focus on supplementation, medication, actual lab testing and things like that that can help us overcome that. That's awesome. Let me ask you something really straight. Why is it for 21 weeks instead of days, for instance? Because there's a lot of people that would, li would like to rush it and just have it in one month, for instance, but you chose to put it in 21 weeks. Why, the reason, what, yeah. What's the reason behind that? The reason for it is it, it's me. I've gone through this many times. I've done this. It's not a thing that I just created and I'm seeing how it goes. This is a course that I've done one-on-one -on -one with people and I'm trying to make it into an online more accessible. I'm too expensive for some folks, but they can go through this way and learn from me and I'm just trying to help more people. The reality of it is if you try to rush it, it won't change. When you have to create a true change, you got to work at least three months on it, in my opinion, from you know, behavior coaching side that I did to get to a point where it becomes a habit, to get to a point where you see difference, to get to a point where the results are so good that you're sold in the behavior necessary to get there for the rest of your life. Because if you just rush it and you kind of feel, oh, this is great, okay, but you haven't noticed the massive contrast that have changed that has happened in your life, you won't be sold to continue this down the road. So I don't want people just to buy my course and then you know, give me money. I want them to get results from it. 
I want them to come to a point where six months down the road, their life is completely different and their internal health is optimized. Okay, speechless. <laughs> I have nothing to, I mean, I don't know what I could comment on that. The only thing that I know is that I can wait to, you know, get to um, the end of the course. Um, because I see that there's a lot of interesting things there. I'm not going to discuss about it, of course, because whoever wants to, to get your course should get in touch with you first. By the way, where, where can they get in touch with you? Uh, just email me at anton at oaktree.live, probably the best way. On my LinkedIn page, the course lives in those little um, uh, documents you could add, attach to it. So it's got a little stress management button on there. Uh, you can go through there. You know, to the same point, like price. Um, that course is priced at $299 now. Um, why is it priced at $299? I could have given it up for $29.99. It really is not about the money. It's the skin in the game for the person that's buying it. I don't want people just to throw money at them because they're going to waste $29.99 because they won't actually implement it. When you make a large enough investment of, say, $299, now you've gotten some skin in the game to actually get through it and follow the advice that is given. So that's why the price point's where it's at. If somebody really can't afford it, guys, reach out to me. It's like I said, it's not about money. If you prove to me that you'll actually do it, I'll get you a massive discount. That's not a problem. Just got to actually take the course and, and finish all 22 weeks of it. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, I want, I want to change a bit the, the course of the conversation. And I want to ask you, um, from the perspective of um, an identity coach, how do you see that humor should be integrated in someone's life? It's just a curiosity. No, I love it. What a great question. Um, to that point, it's, it's the same thing I'll throw in as vulnerability because I talked about this recently and you talk about vulnerability a lot too. And humor. you answered my, my interview some time ago as yeah. well. Yeah. And great, great ones. I hope you keep, keep them going. But sure. um, the vulnerability, humor, those are tools. Those are tools for humans to interact, for humans to connect, for humans to relate and, and convey information. If humor is authentic to who you are, use it. Use it and use it a lot. Use it often. Use it in whatever way you want to use it. If you're a weirdo like you say that you are and, and I am a weirdo too, then be that weirdo with your humor. You know, be that person all the time. You know, before we jumped on the, in the, in the call, we were talking about being yourself all the time and how easy it is, yes. but you don't have to keep track of what did I say here one day, who I am here another day, how I am with this group, how I am with this group. You just get to be yourself. So if it's natural, if it comes to you natural, do it. But if you think that you must have humor in order to succeed, in order to reach an audience, that's not true. You know, I'm not a very funny person. I'm a very serious person. Most people know me to be like this, you know, by the book, one, two, three, you're not in your head because I probably portray that to you. But <laughs> like... I'm fun-ish sometimes uh, in the yeah, right mood, are. I guess, but it, I'm not this like silly person. So I don't try to be like, that's not, that's not my thing, but just own it. If humor is your thing, own it. And, and, and don't try to make your humor be like somebody else's humor, be like your own humor. Exactly. I love that. And I love that you brought up the, the fact that, you know, being ourselves is just the easier way, easiest way to be. Right. And it's, I think, a few days ago, I published my own quote, so to say, uh, which is being yourself is the easiest way to make an impact. And I truly believe in that because by being yourself, you just show the world, you know, what's deep inside you. And, you know, you can give, you can be that kind of um, take it or leave it person. I mean, whoever likes you, it's going to be there for you and stand beside you. Who doesn't like you probably is not your audience, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And you look at people like, I like talking about Gary Vee. You know, everybody talks about Gary Vee, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's super out there. He's super energetic, but that's just his style. That's who he is. If he tried to be somebody else, he probably wouldn't have been successful. But guess yeah. what? Does he, does he rub a bunch of people the wrong way? Absolutely. There's a bunch of people that can't stand Gary Vee because of his personality. But what made him famous is the extreme self. It's being him to the most highest level possible, and that's what created that. So, you know, it's not easy to be yourself. I want to make sure that we, we're clear with people when we say it's easy to build a personal brand being yourself. It's easy to create success being yourself. It's easy to maintain your daily life being yourself. But it's incredibly hard to get to your point, to a point where you're always yourself. 
And that's why, you know, when I work with people, I usually take six to 12 months to get a person there. And maybe not even that. I had a client, I worked with a partner in PwC for two and a half years. It took us two and a half years to get to a point where he was really set. This is a partner in, in a Fortune 500 you know, firm and incredibly successful all his careers and done a lot, but it took us a while to get to that point. So, but once you're there, it, you just relish in it. It's, it's so good. And that's why like, that's when you see myself get lit up the most is when I see a person get to that point. It's the growth of and you and you're like, Anton, thank you so much for helping me. I'm like, I gotta know the joy that I get from seeing you change is just amazing. It's, it's a huge, you know, fulfillment for me as a human being. It is indeed to, to see other people, you know, succeed. I, I've done that myself and it, I, I can relate, you know, to what you're saying completely because there's no, no greater reward than seeing the person, you know, that you've helped, uh, seeing their dreams come true or whatever, you know, just being happy or like I sent you a screenshot of, you know, of the 200 listens of this podcast until today in 28 days. I mean, I think that's extraordinary and I'm not proud. I don't, I don't like to say that I'm proud of myself. I like to say that I'm happy that it happens. You know? Be proud of yourself. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to say, be proud of yourself. There's nothing wrong. You know, this thing that we have, it's like, I was talking about this um, yesterday or two days before in a post and I actually want to use this to clarify too. But why are we afraid to be proud of ourselves? Why are we afraid to talk about our accomplishments like we should be celebrating them? Because somebody said you need to be humble. Somebody said that you need to, you know, not talk about yourself. And that's how we are in everyday life. And I agree with that because in everyday life, people see so much of us that we don't have to talk about ourselves. They see through the real us. But on social media, on, you know, online communication, if you don't share what you've done, if you don't share your accomplishments, guess what? Many may never know. Many may never see the wonderful human being and how they can benefit from your podcast and how they can benefit from all the things you, you teach them. So be proud. Let the world know, hey, I've reached 200 listeners in the first month. That's freaking awesome. Yes. Yeah, it is. That is awesome. So don't, don't ever sell yourself short. Yay! I reached 200 listeners. <laughs> there you go. Boom. Jackpot. <laughs> What I'm talking you know, about. Actually, uh, at the first event that I went, my first networking event that I ever attended, uh, which was Global Woman Bu Bucharest, um, it was um, actually the, the organizer said at some point exactly something um, in, you know, on the lines of what you said right now about selling, you know, about people that are, are afraid of selling. Um, and they, she said something like, uh, when you're afraid of putting yourself out there, you're actually doing a disservice to the person that might need your service. And that will stay with me, I think, for the rest of my life. It was so impactful. It was incredibly, you know, powerful. That message in just a few words, you know. But that's, that's definitely something that, um, as I said, will remain with me for, for a long time. Let me expand on that a little bit before you jump off, jump off that topic because that is a cool quote and, and it's one that I've used in sales training for a long time. I developed a lot of coaches in my day job career um, and what I say is when you sell a product that helps people, whether it be a service or a product, whose job is it to buy it? Is it their job to buy it or is it your job to sell it? It's your job to sell it because they may not know all the amazing things that are part of that service or part of that component. They see a small little snapshot of what it can do for them. You as a salesperson, you as a coach, you as a you know, service provider need to be able to deliver, articulate very clearly how it's going to benefit them, right? So what I say to these coaches that I train, I'm like, okay, you know, we talk about overcoming objections in sales. The statement that I tell them and I say, you know what, Andrada? Right now, in between these four walls, while we're having this conversation, you happen to be your priority. You're important to yourself. As soon as you leave, life's going to happen. Kids are going to come into equation. Your giving self is going to come into equation. And you're going to make yourself be a second priority because that's who you are as a giver. And that's why right now, I need you to make this decision for yourself, whether this product and service is good for you, because we need to decide now. It, I need to have you decide now while you care about yourself. And I make that push. And I make them say yes or no. Because it's my job to make them make that decision. It's not their job to decide. They don't know the full spectrum of how much I can help them. And that's a narrative, once again, that I have to come back to and run through and say, what am I telling myself? 
do I feel like I'm doing something to people or I'm doing something for people? Well, of course it's something for people. So I'm not selling them. I'm helping them overcome a problem that they may not understand fully and I can help them in a different way. Because with that mindset, now I can be a little bit more pushy with sales because I'm trying to help them overcome that problem. I like this. You know, the, the narrative that you just mentioned, if you're doing this to them or for them, yeah, I need to implement that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, a lot of lessons. I, I have, you know, I have a hunch that in this episode, I'm going to learn a, a lot. Um, so let me go back to, to, um, to the humor part and ask you, you said that we should only use it if it's part of our personality of, of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I'm asking again from an identity coach perspective, um, until where can a person or should a person go with humor until hurting the others? Okay, um, humor at expense of other people, that's a different story. Um, that's not humor in my opinion, that's belittling. If a person's laughing with you, that's a different story. You can laugh with me about most things like, you know, I make a mistake, I'll usually make fun of myself first, but that person's gotta be there, you know? So you have, if you're gonna go there, I would say it like this, if you're gonna go there, you better be certain that you know that person on a level that is not gonna hurt them, that they're so set, maybe their identity so set that they can take a little bit of life humor like that and it's not gonna offend them, it's not gonna hurt their feelings and they're not gonna walk away home feeling demoralized and defeated. But if you're not certain that you can read people like that, which most of us are not, then I would say don't even go there. You know, don't go to having fun at other people's expense. Have fun at your own expense. That's usually the easiest and safest humors to bring is make fun of yourself. People love people that can make fun of themselves. Because if I can make fun of myself, nobody can make fun of me. If I make fun of me for something first, you can never hurt me like that. You know, I used to make fun of me when I had an accent and, I, and to the rest of the people in the world, I still have an accent, obviously. But when I moved to the States and I did speak English and I had to learn, I'd make fun of me for speaking with a Russian, a Russian accent. Why? Because then Americans couldn't, couldn't hurt me. It was, a, it was a defense mechanism, but I still use it all the time. If there's something that you know, I'm uncomfortable with, I'll just blow it up myself. And that makes me be comfortable with it. And then you can't hurt me. <laughs> That's awesome. You brought up you know, the fact that you, you're not from the US. You know? Tell us a bit about your background story. What happened? Where did you, when did you move to the U.S.? And what's your plan further on? All right. Um, background story. God, I, I wrote out a post and I could literally probably spend two hours talking about my background story. I've had a long life. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a blessed way. Uh, long life. I, I was raised in Ukraine, which is now Russia. So it was Russia, then it became Ukraine. Now it's Russia again. It's Crimean Peninsula where the whole conflict between Russia and Ukraine kind of ensued because of the port that's there. Uh, born and raised there, son to a big shot mayor. My dad was a mayor in the Communist Party of my city, and he was big time in the party. Gorbachev uh, recognized him in his final address to the Soviet Union. He was like a big shot. And I had growing up, I had a chauffeur. I had anything I ever wanted. We didn't own it, but Communist Party provided it. Then communism fell apart. I was five years old at the time, and everything was gone. It went from a chauffeur to now we can barely afford food. There's no food in the store anyway, so it doesn't matter if you can afford it, um, and that kind of life. So I had a different experience. I went from I had everything to now I'm wearing shoes with holes in them because you know they still fit my feet and I haven't outgrown them. Or as long as my toes can scrunch in there, I'm still okay. And that was just the norm, and I'm not even complaining about it. You know, you know this because you come from a similar background, living in these big apartment buildings that Americans call projects. For us, it's just an apartment building. Like, that's how we live. Uh, and got into trouble growing up. I got into drugs very early. I smoked, you know, pot, marijuana, I think at the age of seven. And I know this because my dad caught me and kicked my butt. He died when I was eight from cancer. So he was dying for about two years. So my estimate is about seven because he probably didn't have the strength when I was eight already to do that. And... Lots of, you know, I grew up with a bunch of kids that were older than me. So I was made to mature much faster because of the group that I hung out with. And all these, this is all, I'm, I'm saying this because all of this taught me how to set my identity. You know, the book we'll talk about in a bit uh, is all these stories. I'm going to give the most real recollection of everything that happened from, you know, smoking cigarettes when I was six years old to pot, to drugs, to marriages, to divorces, to military, you know, and then I moved to the States. 
Uh, my mom brought me out here because she, honestly, she loves my stepdad and they're still together 20 some years down the road, but she needed to get me out of the country. She knew that my sister and me had no future where I was at and she needed to get us out. So she, funny story, my mom starts getting these emails, right? And, and just, my mom's a beautiful woman and, and you know, 15, 20 years ago, even more so. Um, but she started getting bombarded with emails from these guys. And she's like, what's going on? Like, I don't get it. So it turns out she had a picture of herself on her desk. Who knows? I guess that's normal in Ukraine. You do that. I don't know why somebody has a picture of themselves on their desk, but she, her friends, she was working with a bunch of girlfriends in this insurance company she was running and they took her picture and made her a profile on a dating site and without her knowing. So all these guys start reaching out to her and she doesn't even speak English. So she can't even respond to them. So she talked to this one guy in Norway for a while and then she met my stepdad and they chatted six months through an interpreting system and my sister like kind of spoke some English. She learned some English in the uh, school she was going for. So back and forth interacting and talking and somehow he came to visit us and brought me this little Bronco hat. I was the coolest kid on the block because I had something American. I'm sure you get how that goes back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, having something American was special. So yeah. finally he brought us over to the States. They got married and that was 13 years old. So that's when I came to the country, didn't speak English. Um, and Ukraine, you can probably understand Russia. You fought for everything. You, respect was everything. You know, to a male, ego was everything. Respect was everything. So because people made fun of the way I talked, I would get in fights, get expelled from schools. You know, I would defend Americans against other nationalities that would come in and form cliques and make fun of Americans. And I'd be like, wait a minute, this isn't our country. We, we came to visit here. Why are we causing problems for the native people that you know belong here and, and calling them losers and stuff like that. So I would protect, protect Americans and fight against it because I thought that was my job. That was stupid. Um, then got into heavier drugs, got addicted to some pretty bad stuff, uh, and then graduated high school six months early to go into military uh, because I knew that if I stayed where I was, I was going to go to prison. I already had a few friends go to prison that were older than me. So I was like, all right, you got to grow up. I went into recruiter's office just to say no initially, but within that day I was signing paperwork to go and enlist. Served in the military, grew up, uh, two tours, one combat tour in Iraq, um, came back, you know, little PTSD, nothing major, didn't see anything too crazy out there. So some people have seen a lot worse, so I don't want people to feel bad. Um, got into health and fitness and been in it in some way or shape or form for the last 11 years. Um, fell in love with leadership and coaching in that, in that field a lot of internal coaching you know I would coach a lot of leadership development stuff and things like that and then a lot of health coaching became behavior coaching became nutrition coaching became identity coaching and that's short short version of you know really packed life three kids two marriages all three kids from the new marriage and happily married and we love each other everything's great and how old is is the newest member of the family tell us the newest member will be two weeks tomorrow Two weeks, oh my God, and he's adorable. I do hope that, you know, people who don't follow, uh, follow you on LinkedIn, maybe at least for the letter that you wrote to your son will get to follow you. Give us, give us two insights from that letter, um, which I think it's absolutely brilliant, uh, especially because I've, wrote, I've written something similar to my daughter's two years ago. And it, it resonated with me in such a manner that I just couldn't believe it. But it's, it's a lot of wisdom over there. So give us two insights. Two insights. Uh, first insight would be to my kid and to our kids, push your kids to make mistakes. You know, push your kids to go risk, take chance, to fail, to do all these things. Because what I'm seeing with parents right now is we become protectors and, and it's great. I get it guys. I get what you're trying to do. We're trying to save our kids from all this stuff. But if you save your kids from all this stuff, when they're five, 10, 15 years old, guess who's not there when they're 25 and 30, you're not there. You think you'll be, but even if you're there physically, they're going to push away. They're going to rebel. They're going to find their own path. But if they didn't get a chance to recover from mistakes at an early age, you don't know what's going to happen at a later age. So let that happen. Let them, let them fall on their face. Let them break their arms. Let them do all these things. You know, so that would be one. Um, second insight is just let your kids um, love your kids, but don't smother them. Like just the, the love needs to be proportionate and it needs to be to a place where they're not old. Like I don't want to say they should never not feel loved, 
but there should be times where they need to find support for themselves from themselves. I think that that's an important thing to teach our kids is to support their own decisions, support their own uh, choices. And those two things go hand in hand. I mentioned them together intentionally, because if we just always love them so much, when we're not there, who's going to fill that void? You have to teach your kids to love themselves, to be okay by themselves, and then they can love others better. That's so true. That's so true. Um, and now tell us if you brought up, you know, self-love, there, there are a lot of people that consider self-love to be selfish. Give us your two cents on this, on this one. Why is it not self-love selfish? Uh, nope. Sorry. I'm looking back. I used to have it written on my board, uh, selflessly selfish. And that's a, that's a term that I, that I like to coach on. Selflessly selfish means that we're selfish to be selfless. Um, it's basically, and I'll give you, this is a lot to do with stress management too. Self-love is important. There's so many categories of self-love that we need. Self-love with time, self-love with nourishment, self-love with nutrition, self-love with, you know, the personal dialogues that we have. Each one of the different categories need to nurture each one of them. But in order for you to be the best you that you can be for others, you have to be the best you for yourself first. You know, they talk about this all the time. Everybody talks about the oxygen mask analogy on the airplanes, right? You got to put your own oxygen mask on first. You got to love yourself first because then it's a true love that gets sent to the world, not this idea of it or representation that you try to put on because you don't love yourself. You know, and, and what I talk about with moms, this is, you'll relate to this a lot. Moms are such givers. Moms of the world, God, I wish I could give every mom out there a hug because the stuff that you guys do for kids is just remarkable, but you're constantly giving 100% away. Always, you know, moms, I'm seeing not taking time to meditate, not taking time to go to the gym because I got to do this for my kid. I got to do this for my kid. I got to do this for my kid. I'm like, cool. I love it. I respect that. But here's an analogy for you. Right now, you're operating a five-gallon gas tank. Your car has a five-gallon gas tank. You're giving away 100% of that five-gallon gas tank. What that's going to do is going to shrink it. Because we can't operate at 100% capacity without nurturing our body, without doing preventative maintenance, without doing preventative maintenance for our mind and our body. So pretty soon, it's going to be a one-gallon gas tank. You're still giving away 100%, right? You're still giving away 100%, but it's only one gallon worth now. Why not, when it was still five gallons, do what I teach people. Keep 10% of yourself for yourself at all times. Out of that five-gallon tank, you keep 10% for yourself. So that 90% of that five-gallon tank for the rest of your eternity are going to be given to others. Is that not logically what we should do? It makes sense logically, but when you actually get into the mix of things, people forget logic and we start to make decisions emotionally. And this is a whole other conversation that I coach on is don't make decisions emotionally. Keep emotion as part of your decision-making, but still the final decision should always be made with, made with logic. So we use our frontal cortex, our our human side, not a limbic, you know, side, that's our animal side at the bottom of our brain. Um, that's not going to be a good decision usually. Interesting insights. Thanks for, for sharing this with us. Um, tell me, I mean, all the, all the information that you share with everyone out there, even in this podcast and uh, even in your post on LinkedIn or whatever else you, you do post, um, is, is pretty, I mean, it's not pretty, it's, it's hugely valuable. Um, do you have any, <clears throat> sorry, do you have any kind of plans to put all this information in some book? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, multiple books actually. So mm -hmm. I'm finishing my identity coaching book, uh, right now, which is ultimately going to become a coaching program that will help other coaches to be able to coach to identity. That's what I'm building. And the book will be a foundation for that. So I'm a believer in results pyramid that in order to get a person to take a different, to get a different result, right? What do we normally do? We take a different action. Mm -hmm. That's not enough. It's not going to fix the problem because before an action lies a belief, that belief is what drives that action. So if you want to change the action, you have to change the belief, True. but there's still, still not enough. You can't just tell a person, Hey, you need to believe this. There's got to be proof. There's got to be an experience that occurs in order for that person to believe it. But sometimes an experience can't be recreated because it's just a certain type of situation. But when we hear stories 
and we hear other people's stories, then we can kind of take that experience of others related to some of the stuff that we've done and be able to change our belief through other people's stories. Then it'll lead to a different action that'll lead to a different result. So you got to go all the way down to the bottom of this results pyramid to impact somebody's peak of the pyramid. So that's what the book is going to be designed to do. Stories of my life. How did I set my identity? Am I hundred percent done? No, absolutely not. It's always a work in progress, but it's, pretty close. You know, for those that know me, they're like, Anton, you're so set on your ways. It's not even funny. And I'm like, it's not that I don't want to grow. It's just my foundation is set. Um, so the book is just stories of my life. How did I get to each, each piece? It's comprised of 12 different steps of a person going from not having identity at all to having identity that can withstand any storm. And it's 12 different steps. So I talk about the four pillars and I talk about the 12 different steps. And then people will be able to use those stories in conversation. So instead of saying, you know, some random story, they're going to say, remember when Anton did X, what was he thinking? What was he going through? And it becomes live for the reader. It becomes live for the person in a seminar, in the coaching session. And they can relate and think about when they did similar stuff, how they felt, how they did it. So that'll be book one. Goal is by April to release it. Um, I have majority, majority of it done, but I guess still got to polish up a lot. Uh, and I'm finishing moving right now. So once I move, I'll have more time to do that. Now, <clears throat> it's going to be a series because I'm an identity coach and I like to do lots of different things. I love sales and I love parenting. So then I thought about why not use a similar format to teach people to sell themselves, right? There's so many different sales systems out there, but you, you definitely will be one. Uh, <laughs> there's so many sales systems out there, but which one do you follow? Which one is best for you? And what I've done as a sales coach for many years in my day job is find ways how a person feels comfortable selling, right? Are you like option closes? Do you like assumptive closes? Do you like drop closes, right? And teach people lots of different varieties and then put together a system that is best for who they are as a person. Uh, so that'll be my sales book. And then I want to do a parenting book in the same way, how to parent as yourself, how to parent from who you are and really understanding where are your parenting understanding coming from because so much of who we are is through our parents. So all of those will come down the road, but right now really it'll be, uh, the book will be called You Are More, The Practical Guide to Live Life Your Way. That's awesome. So it, you said that there's going to be three parts or are there? Three, three books, three books. Three it'll be three, books, three right? separate books, yeah, for now, maybe more down the road, who knows. Okay, save me one copy of it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them for sure. We all know how hard it is to grow, right? Especially if we are in the first month or years of our journey, of our business startup, or we're coaching, or we're writing, and we want to spread the word about us. We all know that it is pretty difficult to get the word out there. But that's exactly where I come in. I want to host an ad about your business into my podcast, Impact by Choice. So look me up on LinkedIn, Andrada Anite. I would love to work with you further on, and I would love to help you boost the visibility of your brand. Get ready for the free global app that works for you. WorkApp is set to revolutionize the way people connect in their personal and professional lives. Finally, there's a one-stop shop to help you post jobs or gain employment. Would you like your very own digital shop without any fees or charges? A global messaging service. And you can also post all types of events and courses, and you can buy, sell, or rent any items you wish. WorkApp is a global platform that helps you find what you need, when you need it, without any costs or delays. So, sign up for this exciting new service today. WorkApp works for you. You spoke about how much you love to see people succeed. Who was the, the most influential person in your life, as in who was there for you, um, you know, when you, when you felt like giving up? Um, the, the most influential person in my life probably is not through conversation it's through example. It's my mom. Um, uh, the things that my mom has gone through in her life is just insane. Like the, this woman 
She lost her husband, you know, from dying from cancer for two years at the age of 45, gets, finds a new love two years after he passed away. Guy dies from, uh, he was part of the Chernobyl explosion that happened in Ukraine, dies from a heart attack. All of a sudden she was there with him, um, you know, loses her mom, loses her dad, you know, is a single mom. And she's the kind of lady, like, she remodeled her entire house, like the entire house. She, she built a basement. It was just a basement. She changed it into a living basement. She cut out concrete windows with a big concrete saw herself. Like that's the kind of woman that my mom is. And she, we, I've never probably said this to her and I probably should. And hopefully I'll you know, give her a listen to this podcast, which I will. And she never took any credit. She never did this to, you know, get get rewarded. She did this because that's what the family needed. And she's the kind of person that just acts, you know, she shows love through action. You know, my mom, my mom is not the kind to just say, I love you so much and be really verbal. She's just always there for me in action. So I would say my mom and a second person that I want to mention, he pulled me out LinkedIn. He pulled me out of a bad spot in LinkedIn over summer. I like to talk about my mistakes. I got with a group of people and one in particular that just really, she didn't make me poison my mind. I made the decision to allow her to poison my mind, but it happened. And he pulled me out by just calling me and saying, dude, what, what is going on? Like, what are you doing? And it's Michael David Chapman. I mean, he is a remarkable man. And, and through Christ and conversations about God, he helped me to understand the path that I got on is not the path that I've been on and the path that I want to be on. And he still regularly, you know, chats with me and helps me out with advice and stuff like that. So He's my LinkedIn Yoda, and that's what I like to call him, and helps me out a lot. You know, mentors are hard to come by, so whatever, you know, he's done for me, I'm just so grateful for. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I, I know what you mean about Michael, because I've, I've been there myself, and he's been really supportive with me uh, as well. As much as you've been, you know, or I don't know if there's any kind of comparison between the two of you. And I love the story about your mom. Yes, please make her listen to this podcast because I think that's, in your way, I think that's the sweetest message that you, you should have sent your mom so far. But I'm sure that she will love it. She will love it for sure. Um, let me ask you something. In regards to father-children relationship, what is the greatest value that you would like to, to send to your kids um, learned from your mistakes, so to say, you know? So you learn a lot, but out of the lesson, I think that you can extract the value that further on you can pass it along. So which, which would be the main one that you can think of? Don't live within gender parameters. Um, it's, it's one of those things that growing up, it took me until probably the age of, 27, 28, to get to a point where I was able to let go of this idea of what a man should be. Um, you know, this, this concept of strong, you know, powerful decision maker, money maker, like your old school mentality of what a man should be, not soft, nurturing, fatherly, you know, whatever, whatever differences are. Don't let society set boundaries for who you want to be. That, that would be my message as a father to them. Like, it's just, people are going to, people without meaning to or some meaning to will try to choose your course in life. Don't let that happen. Choose your own course. Choose your own way of being a male. Choose your own way to be a female. If you want to be a strong woman, be a strong woman. If you want to be a, you know, a, a soft woman, be a soft woman. Same thing for a man. Like, just don't, don't follow these gender guidelines that we've been you know, following for so many years, they're just stupid. Yeah, like like those ones that boys should not be playing with dolls and girls should not be playing with cars, right? Something like that. Whatever. It's, it's, that's a great that's example. The like, thing ever. Set, set who? Like, said who? Who came up with that? Like, why girls? Boys see dolls around. They see other people doing it. Why can't a boy play dolls with a girl? But when I was growing up. That wasn't okay. Like that was no, you kidding me? Like Anton, what do you think you're doing? You got to go pick up a soccer ball and go, go play sports, go right. do you know, something different. Like, but what if I wanted to play with dolls? Like, so yeah, absolutely. 
Awesome. Um, I, I so like the fact that I can talk to you about absolutely anything. And we've covered so many, so many topics, you know, from parenting to sales, to coaching, to whatever else. I don't know, your childhood. I love the story about your background. So what's coming up next for Anton besides your books? Anything else? You said I'm that starting. you're going to move. You said that you have your books under the pen. What else? So biggest thing right now is Coaching Hub. Coaching Hub is the one thing that I've been talking about a lot. Um, Coaching Hub is something that I've created uh, with my partner, Linda Tilson, to change the way that coaching is done. Um, Coaching right now is still new. It's something that hasn't been around like some of these other careers and professions. And what I'll do is I'll just create a little analogy to explain what Coaching Hub's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Back when professional sports teams were created, you know, many, many years ago, you had just one coach and that coach's job was to accomplish everything there was to coach this team. They coached scoring, they coached defending, they coached all the different skill sets. As the sport matured, you started to develop much more specialized positional coaches to get better at one specific task. So maybe just an offensive coach, then there's just a defensive coach. And then they became even a positional coach, a a coach that teaches you just to kick a ball or to, to, to teach you to throw a ball, whatever it may be, right? But in coaching, in in business coaching, in life coaching, all the other coaching that we do outside of sports teams, we haven't gotten that specific yet. There's still a person hires one coach and they basically take care of everything, whether it be an organization, whether it be an individual. And it's not the most efficient way of doing things because why would you get somebody to teach you that is only 50% as good at it as somebody else if, say, at Coaching Hub, we can put together an a la carte service. We bring in a generalist and we say, okay, this generalist coach is going to be the person that coordinates all the other coaches are going to come in and teach you what you need to be, what you need to learn, right? So say it's a a business coaching, right? And you have a generalist business coach who's going to come in and teach you about your business. But at different times, they'll plug in a marketing specialist. They'll plug, plug in a sales specialist. They'll plug in, you know, a PR specialist and they end up kind of plugging in for the specific amount of time they need to be there to teach you the best person teaching you the best skill. And it comes back to the generalist, how to put it all back together. And it flows in a nice, in a nice system that allows a person to get the most out of their packages, would get their organization, get the most out of their packages. So that specificity, that granular detail is what we're trying to do with coaching up. We're also going to try to make it more accessible by giving more seminars, webinars, um, that people all over the world that can't afford to do one-on-one coaching can still have access. We're also doing a lot of free stuff. You know, as an example, I'm starting your webinar series on January 30th. I'm going to record a stress management webinar. So I'm going to do three free webinars just to kind of show people, here's what I'm talking about. Because the stuff that I talk about, not a lot of people are talking. Everybody's still managing stress through meditation and mindfulness, which is a great tool, but it's only one of them. And I want to teach the rest of the tools out there. So I'm going to give three free webinars just to get people to buy into the value. And then I'm going to do a super cheap one under $50 to actually show them solutions to some of these problems. And Coaching Hub is going to be doing that all over the world. Uh, Kevin Ward is going to be starting his. Christopher Morgan is going to be starting his. Linda Tilson is going to be starting hers. All of that will be launching in, in February and March. Um, so we'll be posting on Coaching Hub page about all these upcoming ones. But I'm telling this so people can take advantage of it because we're going to give a ton of free stuff. And what's Coaching Hub's page? Uh, coachinghub.us. But right now, probably the best way to keep up with us is just to join the LinkedIn page, coachinghub.us. Uh, same, same address because we're much more active there. Our, um, our website needs to have the computer, sorry, the phone version finished up. We have the desktop up, but our web developers finishing the form version. So the next week or so, a week or two, we'll be done with that and people can use it. But for now, just follow us on LinkedIn page and in coaching hub too, they'll be able to go and find different categories of coaches that are much more specific, right? So instead of just going for a marketing coach, you're going to see a bunch of different detailed coaches within that scope, within that umbrella. That's, that's an amazing, an amazing concept. I mean, to, to just, um, you know, provide, a, so to say, provide a coach for different need. Um, I've been talking a few days ago with someone uh, specifically on this matter that um, I've actually listened to a Facebook Live. Um, and there, the, the keynote speaker there said that it's okay to have several mentors in different areas is this actually what you're trying to do with coaching hub yes 
and, and that's exactly it. it would, because sometimes you can't find a paid a mentor for free. So sometimes having paid mentors, which is ultimately what coaches are, is the same thing, mm-hmm. right? They're in different specialties. You may need uh, you may need to be coached in such different areas. One may be parenting, one may be business. So are you really going to have the same coach coaching in those completely opposite areas? No. So we're trying to create it to where you can get help in one and the other, but still having one person, because you got to have one singular person that kind of guides the whole thing around. So it's a generalist coach that partners with specialist coaches to put together this package. Oh, okay. That, that's what uh, Coaching Hub is about, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I know there's people, I know that I felt like this so many times, you know, like feeling that if we approach many coaches in the same time to solve several issues, so to say, they may feel guilty. What would you advise them so that they won't feel guilty about doing that? Well, and that's where the generalist comes in because it's not their, it's not their job to go reach out to the other coaches. They just come to the generalist and the generalist coach is going to put together all the other coaches that are relevant for their need. The generalist coach is almost like a surveyor, right? They're going to figure out what are your needs, even the stuff that you're not putting out right away through conversation because that's what we do as coaches. We're going to pull out your true needs that need to be overcome to make you be successful in whatever it is you're trying to do. And then that generalist coach will pull in people themselves that are specialists to what you need. So you don't have to feel guilt. You just find the one and they do the rest. Okay. That's about coaching hub, but generally. In general? Yeah. In general. So it, it, once again, it comes back to what do we talk about? What's the narrative that that person is saying to themselves? Okay. The narrative is going to it could be something along the lines of, I I feel like I'm cheating on one coach with the other coach, yeah, right? Exactly. That, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, the, that's the wrong narrative that we're going to say. The right narrative should be an amazing coach only cares that we end up being to point B as fast and the most efficiently possible. So an amazing coach is not going to care that we're investing additional revenue into going elsewhere. An amazing coach is usually going to say, heck yes, that's awesome. Now I've got another person in my corner helping me to get this person to a destination right? Is it going to be better to get a person from A to B with one driver or having an assistant driver helping that driver, you know, along the destination? Of course, the assistant driver is going to be better. And the right coaches, all the great ones out there, I know they'll all agree, have no problem with this. They're like, great, enlist more help. It just means that we're going to get you there better. Right. And, and each one can focus on their own slice, so to say, right? Yep. Just communication becomes important. When you work with multiple people, you know, to not have to do work twice, make sure that whoever you're working with, there's some sort of centralized channel of communication to align everything, right? Because even, even though you coach on opposing things, two coaches may create opposing advice if they don't know what the other coach is saying. So as a consumer, as a client, make sure even if you don't have some way for coaches to communicate, that you communicate to the other coaches what the other coaches are saying. Because then it, become, it, can, it can become disorganized. It can become a place where you're taking advice from too many people at once and you're getting nowhere because you go two steps to the right and two steps to the left and you end up in the center. Okay, so you're saying that from, from a coach's perspective, do you think that it's okay to transfer the information from one coach to another? It has to be. It has to be discussed. This has to be established when clients make these decisions. It doesn't have to be personal. It doesn't have to be necessarily coaches' systems but the, the actions that you're having to take, right? Share with the other coach that this is my homework assignment. This is what I'm focusing on. This is what I need to be doing. And then they can kind of put together the, the, their homework assignment that goes hand in hand with that one versus something that's opposing and making harder on yourself. So it's just about streamlining it a lot, a lot faster and better. Okay, so communication, it boils down to, to true communication in the end. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you one more thing uh, regarding communication, and that's a topic that is very, very dear to me. Um, I see that you embrace most, you know, um, cultures or spiritual practices. Um, but tell us a bit about how you see diversity, how how you've witnessed diversity on your own skin, and what did it do to you? I'm sure that, you know. Um, can you pull out some some positive aspects or and also some negative aspects of diversity or is there nothing? absolutely absolutely i can I can definitely talk to that and and the late the second part i 'm going to share is probably not the popular opinion and 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 if somebody doesn 't like it oh well that 's just me I um, think that 's exactly why I asked you <laughs> <laughs> first part is <coughs> adversity is, is a necessary part of life 
you know, it, it's one of those things that if you've never faced challenges, you've never faced adversity, you don't know yourself. Uh, my boss said this to me a long time ago and he said, if you haven't struggled, you're a wild card and I'm worried about your success. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? You mean that I've never failed and I'm a successful individual and you are worried about me continue to succeed? And he's like, yes. I'm like, that makes no sense. The boss, Ryan, like, it just makes no sense. And he's like, you'll see. And then a couple years ago, I was let, not fired. I was removed from a position, put into another manager position, but I basically failed. You know, it was, it, I didn't do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And it shook me. It shook me like it never shook me before. And I, I define myself through my job. I define myself through my titles and all this stuff. And it literally took the world and it flipped me upside down and it kept shaking until everything inside of me fell out. And all these pieces were scattered all over me. And I realized how truly not set I was. And that was the thing that brought in identity coaching that made me realize I need to teach this to people. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I faced adversity that I realized that I wasn't complete. Once I faced adversity and I came out on the other side, that was the final piece that completed me. So that was, that was the one side of it. The other side of adversity is people tend to use adversity as a crutch. That's, that's the not so popular side, meaning that they lean on it and they give themselves excuses to why they can't be better. They give themselves excuses on why they need to be treated better than another person. They're you know, trying this, to play the victim. Are you saying that? Yes and no. Um, so, so I don't like to say always victim because victim sometimes is a conscious thing. When you mm-hmm. say the word they're trying to play in the victim, people think that it's a conscious decision that they're manipulating something. But this can be very subconscious. This can be just internal to where they're not moving forward because of the challenges they faced. They had a rough childhood, so now they feel they're not worth something. They had a you know, tough professional career, so now they can't be a manager because they're afraid that they're going to turn into a, somebody that they faced in the past. Um, that kind of stuff. The other thing is, is entitlement that comes from it. Like, oh, this is where... I am not a fan of people talking about race, gender, and things like that and describing people that way. When you start to create, you know, um, Asian clubs, African-American clubs and things like that, but you push away and you say a Caucasian club doesn't happen, right? And this is not because I'm a white guy. Please don't take this the wrong way. I just need people to understand this. What does it do naturally to the Caucasian population? It makes them feel excluded. When you create exclusion, you create division. When you create division, you further foster the separation that's created due to race and gender separation. So that's where I'm going to say we have to be careful. Yes, those people face adversity. Don't get me wrong. These women and, and some, some races went through some hellish environments. But we need to get past this. We need to stop living in the past and stop using those times to create further division in life. Everybody's just a person. We're just people, not red, green, black, not man, woman in between. Doesn't matter. We're just people. So have a club, be it a people club. Make it be that. Make it inclusive to everybody. If you want to gear more towards specific things, then gear more towards that. And the right people will come without you having to exclude somebody. So even though that's not so much about maybe what you were looking for when asking diversity, it's more about the negative side that I see with diversity is not even people, it's, it's entire generations that have faced adversity. And now we carry this pain with us and we create further issue because we won't let it go. Does that make sense? Kind of, yeah. But um, I see a trend of, of openness, at least on LinkedIn, and I do hope that it spreads around so that people accept more and more, you know, the differences between us, not, um, yes. you know... There's, there's a few people that I know that say that we're more alike than we're different. And I, I truly believe in that because, as you said, we're humans and we, we breathe the same air. So, yeah, it, it, it makes sense what you said. Um, let, if, you were, if you were in a position of becoming the ruler of the world, what would be the one message that you would like to send out to everyone. And that's just, you know, for us to wrap it up, wrap it up. So, and this is maybe continue the conversation I just started. 
when you describe a person, describe them by their choices, not by what they didn't have a choice with. I didn't have a choice for my skin color. I didn't have my choice for my hair color. I have my choice for being a coach. I have my choice for the things that I do. So when I talk about people, I try to get away from things that describing them and things that didn't have a choice in. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't know if I'm painting that clearly. Yeah, it, it, it does kind of make sense. So yeah. if somebody says Andrada instead of saying, oh, redhead that, you know, the Romanian redhead or whatever. Like, no, the writer that published X book, you know, the, the individual that does these series is the person that's amazing that does all these engagements with folks. Like, those are the things that we need to describe people and not take the easy route of describing them by something, their appearance. You know what I mean? Yeah. So actually you're saying that we should go beyond the surface and just define the person by the action, not by the appearance, mm-hmm. right? Yep. As, as the old saying goes, don't, don't judge a book by the covers, right? Absolutely. And that would be the most important message that you would send to the world. God, I think that if we did that as a race of human beings, because the thing is, there's a lot of steps that are involved in that, right? It's not just you're going to say, okay, it's fine. I'm going to do it that way. No, it means that in order for that to happen, I actually have to listen to a person. I have to get to know them in an empathetic way. And then I can still, then I still have to learn more about them to actually define a clear picture of them, to make a decision of who they are, to be able to describe them to somebody else. So once those steps happen, guess what? it'll solve majority of the problems that we have in the world because majority of the problems come from not listening to each other. You know, the middle East keeps fighting about who knows what anymore. Like, I don't even know what's going on, why we keep fighting where I think if people just let go of some of that stuff and actually got to know each other and got to truly get to know each other, we wouldn't have wars. Like all these things would go away. Hunger would go away because we would actually be willing to help because we get to know these people versus just calling them some poor African tribe and, you know, we, it's so far away from us. Now we're going to get to know this, you know, this generation, get to know this tribe and actually make them be real human beings. And then we'll want to help because that's how it becomes. It becomes empathetic with something. You become to know something. You can't just let it suffer. That's not human nature. And humans are good by nature. Humans are not bad by nature. Oh, that's why I like to say that people are beautiful, but they don't know it yet. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy to see that there's, there's still people that resonate to this saying of mine because most people just focus on the negative side. Um, but yeah, just yesterday I had, a, I had a call with Chantel and she was, we were talking about magic, you know? So that's one of the brightest sides of, of people that if we, we were to see it more, just like you said, you know, you wouldn't understand each other more. But I think that it's more important not just to listen, but to actively listen, mm-hmm. you know, because if we just listen and it, it's just like a picture that goes, um, um, you know, in front of our eyes, then it's, it, it's no use. We need to actively listen to understand. So I think it's more than just listening, right? It's just actually trying to, as you said, get to know each other better so we understand each other. It's and, funny how you said it, listen to understand. So like a little tip for everybody, we use passwords all the time, right? And, and mentor of mine taught me this many years ago, whatever you work on personally, in personal development, make that be your password. So for, I think probably for two years, I had my passwords were some version of listen to understand. Listen to understand one, listen to understand two. I think I got to like 15 at some point. Um, but it was just always reminding me like, because as human beings, we listen to speak. Majority of it because of insecurity. This is what I deal with as an identity coach all the time because we're so insecure with what we have to say, with how it's going to be perceived. Is it valuable enough? Is it doing, it's all from coming from self-perspective. Am I helping enough? to make myself feel good about it. So let me come up with the best nugget to say to you versus actually listening to you and hearing you fully where a majority of the time, that's all that's needed. You know, that's what I realized with you. I give you a ton of advice, but a lot of times you just need to be heard. You just need to be, get this off your chest, get it out there, send it into the world. So it's not festering inside. So we got to treat right. We got to listen to understand. Sure. And, and that's, that has a, a healing power actually, you know, just, um, listening to the person and trying to sometimes just listen, you know, give them the space, as you just said, give them the space to just relieve their heart and just be themselves and not be afraid of voicing their minds. Um, so let's just end with this. I, I want to ask you this. Is there anything that you would like the people um, 
the listeners to reflect on until next episode in regards to um, how they can change the world, how they can make an impact on the world? Well, it's, it's making an impact on your world. It has to start with yourself. This is not a new concept. Everybody's been talking about it for generations and generations. We, yeah. just, we just forget about it. You know, so start with yourself. Start with realization that, one, the world doesn't owe you anything. This is a tough thing to hear. It hurts, but it'll set you free and it'll make you successful because everything is a gift. Everything that's given to you is always a gift. Even if you went and did a thousand hours of work for somebody, do anything you, anything you get back is still a gift because you do that thousand hours of work not to get that back. You do that because it's the right thing to do for you. It fulfills you, creates passion, purpose for your life. So because the world doesn't know you anything, understand that everything in this life is because of you. It's because of the choices that you made that brought you to this point in your life. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's bad. At some way or some point, whether it be a year, 10 years down the road, you made a choice that put you on a trajectory that got you here. But because of that, you can make a choice that gets you out. That's so true. And that's a hard slap for most people. You know, I know that it's been for me when I realized that when I felt miserable, um, you know, I, ha I just had to acknowledge that it was due to my choices. So it's, it's a very good topic for, for the listeners to reflect on. Thank you very much, Anton, for, for being here with me today and for covering so many, such, such a wide range of subjects. And I do appreciate all, all the lessons that you've provided us with and for being an extraordinary friend. I wish you an awesome day ahead. Thank you so much, Andrada. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for reaching the end of this episode. I wish you an amazing day ahead. And please, don't forget, smile at life, and life will smile right back at you. Let me tell you about a new show that I came across lately. It's called One Nation Radio, and is that kind of show that simply unites the entire world through the voice of the host. So just go ahead, give it a listen, and support John Gora, who is a new podcaster and will definitely appreciate it.